It's wonderful to be in the Lord's house today and good to see each of you that have come to share with us in the services today. And we're especially thankful for our veterans who have served our country. I was just uh, listening this week on a radio station and they shared with us about how Memorial Day began. It began back during the Civil War. So many of the sons, husbands never came home. They were buried somewhere out on the battlefield. And it was called Decoration Day for many years. I always knew it as Decoration Day. Uh, our, most of our families buried at Corinth Cemetery and the fourth Saturday of May was always Decoration Day. And as a kid, uh, we would go up there. And, uh, my birthday is along about that time, so they uh, brought lots of food and had big oak trees outside that church and tables out there. And everybody in the country seems like came to Corinth on that Saturday. There were hundreds and probably even thousands of people that would show up. And uh, we all enjoyed preaching all day long, singing and uh, a wonderful meal. Uh, yesterday, Francis and I drove up there and decorated my parents' graves. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be planted beside them some of these days. But uh, take time this weekend to honor those who did not return from the battlefields. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 37 through 41. So if, when you find that, if you are able, would you stand with us out of reverence to the Word of God? Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this beautiful day that you've given us. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord, for every person who has come to the house of God this morning and to those listening uh, by other means. Father, we pray that as the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts today, that, Lord, that you will sweep across this congregation and across those, Lord, that are listening. And, Father, that you would just speak to our hearts in a way that, Lord, that we would understand that it's you that's speaking to us, Lord, and not the preacher, but it's you. 
Father, we pray that you will be glorified and you'll be magnified. And we pray for lost souls to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, for our veterans today, Lord, that you would uh, bless them, Heavenly Father. And Lord, just continue to use them in your kingdom's work. And Father, we pray for those families who had a loved one who did not return. Father, we pray you would comfort and strengthen them. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege just to call upon your name today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and be seated, please. As we were working our way through the book of Acts, we've come to the conclusion of the first message that was preached in the church there in Jerusalem. And I want us to think about the imperatives of salvation. Peter had proclaimed the gospel. He had shared with them about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And according to uh, 1 Corinthians, that composes the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, and three days later, he arose from the dead. And that's the gospel. Look at verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, this what? Well, all that Peter had preached, but especially verse 36. We closed out with this last Sunday night. He says, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. This was ground-shaking to those Jewish people that were there. And remember, there were thousands, maybe even millions of people gathered there at the Feast of Pentecost. They had come to observe the Feast of Pentecost. And here, they had witnessed many things happening. They had witnessed people being filled with the Spirit of God. They had witnessed people speaking in unknown languages. They had witnessed all of this as, as Peter had preached there that day. And as he concludes his message, he says, therefore, for all of these reasons, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly, know for a fact that God has done something, that God has made that same Jesus. And notice what he says whom you have crucified. He wants them to realize what they had done. But yet it's the plan of God. It's the work of God. The Lord said that He hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. They thought He was some idiot. They thought he was some criminal. They thought he was a blasphemer. They thought he was a, a fake. But here it's being proclaimed, the one that you put to death on the cross, the one that you saw die there, the one who has risen from the dead and has appeared to, to many folks over these 40 days. This is the Lord and the Christ. 
when they heard this. You see, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. They had heard the Word of God now. And notice what happens. Notice the conviction that comes upon these folks. They were pricked in their heart. What's that mean? They were pricked in their heart. The word pricked is it's, uh, usually uh, translated convict. It means a sting or a pain in the heart. I remember when God spoke to me one day in a certain way about something that He wanted done. And it was like He pricked my heart. It was a, a feeling that I can't explain. It's a conviction, a conviction of being pricked, a, a tug, a pull, a knowledge, an awareness. It's also a, a sense of sin. They begin to recognize we have sinned against God. We were a part of that. We were there. We were yelling and we were, we were saying, crucify Him, crucify Him. There was that sense of doing wrong, of breaking God's law. It's a sense of failure, a sense of coming short, a sense of not measuring up, a sense of disappointing God. It's also a sense of needing more and more of the Lord and of His righteousness. And when we talk about God convicting our heart, it's meaning all of those things. And there was this conviction that came on them. It was like somebody pricked them in their heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, that conviction brought a question. It causes people to seek answers. Many times, people get agitated when they get convicted by the Spirit of God. They don't understand that it's God dealing with their heart. It may be that they, they think that something that the pastor has said, that he's trying to point them out and trying to make them the sinner. But it's the Holy Spirit that begins to move in our hearts and it convicts us of our being wrong. That's the way that God has of getting our attention. It's what He uses so many times in our life for us to ask the question, what is wrong with me? What's going on in me? And this is what was happening here. And they cried out, what shall we do? They wanted to know what can be done, what shall we do? that we can get the relief from this. Well, notice what Peter says to them in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let's look at that. There's some imperatives here. And an imperative means it's something that must happen. There's no way around it. The first imperative, he said, repent. That's not a word we like to hear today. 
When we talk about repenting, it means that we have to admit that we're wrong and that we have to turn away from it. Notice it's a command, it's not a suggestion. Repent. It means to have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude about our sin. It means to turn away from that sin and turn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were going, say, to Chattanooga this afternoon, and you decided that you'd drive over Highway 30 over to Interstate 75, and that you would head south toward Chattanooga. And when you get to Athens, and you come out to I-75, you take a left turn, and you head down the ramp, and you get on the northbound lane, headed south. And you drive down through there and people are honking their horns at you, flashing their lights and dodging you and all of this kind of thing. And you think, those people are crazy. They're in the wrong lane. And then it dawns on you. Hey, I made a wrong turn. I'm headed down the wrong side of this interstate. If I don't do something quick, I'll get killed and kill a bunch of other people. What would you do? Well, the best thing to do would be to pull off somewhere and turn around and head in the right direction. That's a, that's a good picture of repentance. We realize that we're going the wrong direction, that we're headed the wrong way, and we're willing to make a turn and go the other way. When we repent of our sins, we realize that we're a sinful person and we're doing things that is not pleasing to God. And we come to that place to where the Holy Spirit has convicted our heart and we turn away from that. And we turn toward God. And we start toward Him. This is what's happening here. They were convicted of their sins. They said, what shall we do? Peter says, repent. Turn away from it. Turn to God. And then he says, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Be baptized. Notice that's a command also. It's not an option. You read through the Bible. Every person that you find that trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior after the resurrection, there was the thief on the cross that trusted Jesus. He wasn't baptized. But yet Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But the normal in our church age, in the age in which we live, when we've repented of our sins, the next step is to be baptized, to be immersed in water. It's an outward sign of an inward belief. I got saved January 6, 1963. Our church didn't have a baptismal pool. We used a creek, Fort Creek. It was wintertime. I got saved on January 6th. 
at Oakland Baptist Church, but the next Sunday I went to my home church, Glenlock Baptist Church. And I started attending there regularly. I was there in every service. But the pastor never mentioned baptism or church membership until May. I was anxious to be baptized. I wanted to be baptized. But I understand why Preacher Mayfield didn't say, let's go down to the creek here in January. <laughs> it was cold enough in May. But I had that desire in my heart to follow my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to follow His example of being baptized. And it was a glorious day. Along about this time of year that we went down there on a Sunday afternoon after church. And I wasn't the only one. There were some others that were baptized that day. And I remember just feeling a, a sense of Relief in knowing that I had trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and that I had followed His command to be baptized. You see, some people think it's not important. Well, let me share with you some scriptures that talks about the importance of it. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's what we call the Great Commission. Those are the marching orders for the church. Acts 10, verse 48. This is the place where Peter preaches the gospel to the first Gentiles in the house of Cornelius. He was reluctant to go there because Jews didn't, didn't go into Gentiles' homes. But the Holy Spirit instructed him to go. And he went and he preached to them about Jesus Christ. And they gladly repented of their sins and they trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this is what Peter said to them. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they were baptized. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Paul shares his testimony about how he was saved. He was struck blind. He had been blind for three days and God sent a man to him by the name of Ananias to share the good news with him about Jesus. And, and Paul received Jesus there that day as his Lord and Savior. And Ananias said these words to him. And now why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. You see that's baptism. It shows something. It shows a washing away of our sins. It shows obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first command that we have after we've trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You go into the military and they swear you in. 
and then you're given a command. And it's usually a very simple command. Take one step forward. That's not hard to do, is it? You know why they do that? If you fail to take that step forward, they know that you don't mean business. They know that your oath to uphold it is not true. And when we, we, we come and trust Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and if we fail to follow Jesus in baptism, we're saying to Jesus, I don't trust you. I won't do it. I won't follow your first command. And that says to the Lord, this person doesn't really mean business with me. Well, let's look a little farther here. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. What's the results when we follow Jesus that way? The word remission of sins. We, we talk about, sometimes we use that word in a different way, especially with uh, cancer patients. They're taking treatment for their cancer and the doctor will say, well, you're in remission. It means right now there's no evidence of that cancer showing up. But the word remission here, it speaks of forgiveness. It means to send off, to send away the sin that separated us from God, that it's gone. Why do we need forgiveness? Because of our wrongdoing, because of our guilt, because of the penalty arising from both the wages of sin is death. It's, it means a once for all forgiveness. That all the sins you've ever committed, that God has forgiven you of those. 1 John 1, 7. Let me turn to that for just a minute. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And notice, And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's an ongoing cleansing. It never ends. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, well, Pastor, I've been saved, I've been baptized, but yes, I sinned after I was saved. And I thought I was condemned. We all sin, fellas. We all come short of the glory of God. What do we do about it? We go and confess that sin to the Lord. The word confess means you agree with God that it's wrong. We confess our sins. God is faithful. God is just. And He forgives us of those sins. Isn't that wonderful that we have a Savior like that? You parents... You know something about forgiveness, little Johnny, little Susie, all the little kids. They do things that you don't really appreciate and do things that is wrong. 
Do you just kick them out of the house? No. You might spank them a little bit or you might correct them in some other manner. But you love them and you, you try to help them to do right. And we have a Heavenly Father that loves us so much. We have a Heavenly Father that though we have sinned, if we're just willing to come and confess it to Him, He's willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a releasing from guilt. Forgiveness means releasing from guilt. Listen to Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. That's God speaking. God says, I will blot out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Wow. Does that mean God's forgetful? Oh, no. God's not forgetful. He chooses not to remember our sins. That means God doesn't go drag our sins out and put them on display. The devil does that, but not God. Heard a story one time about an old gentleman. He just loved to shout in church. Sometimes he, he shouted so loud that he disturbed the pastor. And they got a, a new pastor and it really disturbed him because he had not been used to that. And he goes and talks to the old gentleman one day and he said, Sir, said, said I, I appreciate your love for the Lord. But he said, you're shouting, said, you, you, you disturbed me. And he says, it interrupts my preaching and he said, I, I want to ask you to do something. He says, we have a soundproof sound room back here. Would you just sit in there while I'm preaching? And the old gentleman said, well, yes, pastor, I don't want to disturb you. So the next Sunday he went into the sound booth and the pastor was up preaching and he just glances up toward that sound booth and he can see that old gentleman up there up on his feet just to praise him the Lord. He asked him afterwards, he says, Sir, I want to know. He said, what is it that I said that caused you to shout like you were shouting today? He said, oh, preacher, it wasn't nothing anything you said. He said, I was just reading in a magazine here while I was sitting in there. And it said that the deepest place in the ocean was over eight miles deep. And he said, it said that there wasn't anything that could reach the depths of that, that it would crush any machine or anything else that you tried to put down in there. And he said, I got to thinking about it that the Bible says that God had cast my sins into the depths of the sea. And I got to thinking about, there ain't nobody that can find my sins down there. And he says, that just excited me. And I wanted to shout a little bit. Well, it's something to shout about to know your sins are forgiven. 
Notice what else he says here. Not only will you receive the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift, a gift that God gives to us when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He comes to live inside of us. He indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit baptizes or immerses the believer into the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. He makes us a part of His church. The Holy Spirit fills the believers who believe in Him and trust Him and obey Him. That's what had happened here on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had filled those people and they began to praise God and rejoice and even to speak in languages that they didn't know. Look at the assurance. Verse 39. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as the many as the Lord our God shall call. There's the assurance, God's promise. The promise is unto you and to 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 me. And not only to us, but also to our children. To our children. Parents, listen to me. We're losing our children at a fast rate of speed in the generation that we're living in today. We're losing them. You've heard the 18-year-old boy that shot and killed all those people out in Texas this year. We're losing our children because we're not keeping them in the house of God and we're not training them in the ways that the Bible tells us to train our children. We're depending on society to train our children and society's making a mess out of it. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Listen to that. To you, to your children, all that are far off. What's he mean by that? He's talking about the Gentiles. Those who were not Jewish people. Those who were outside the realm of Judaism. They had been counted as outcasts. They had been counted as dogs. But here, the message is to go out to all the world. For God so loved the Jews that he gave his only begotten son? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to notice the call here. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Jesus said this in John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. There's a drawing that comes from God, a moving in our spirit that comes from God. That's when you need to come to Jesus. 
when the God is convicting our heart and God is drawing upon our heart, that's the time to come to Him. That's the time we need to respond immediately. The Bible says God's Spirit will not always strive with man. God's Spirit will not always strive with man. I remember preaching in a little church in Sweetwater many years ago. It's the day we landed on the moon, as a matter of fact. I preached that morning and there was one of my neighbor's boys in that congregation that day. And I did something I rarely ever do during the invitation time. I felt led by the Spirit of God to go back and speak to that young man. And I went and talked to him. I knew he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And I shared with him that day and asked him to trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He laughed at me and he said, Preacher, I don't mind at all going to hell. That's where all my friends are going to be and we're going to party. He got on his motorcycle that day and headed for Florida. His mother lived in Florida. He got down in Georgia somewhere and had a wreck and died. God was calling to him that day. God was speaking to him that day. But he turned God aside. Still touches my heart every time I think about him. Notice what the Bible says here, verse 40, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. The invitation, save yourselves. Do exactly as you've been told. What does the word untoward mean? This untoward generation. It means a crooked generation. A generation that has been out of shape. And that that is a good description of the world we live in today. A crooked and perverse generation. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters saith the Lord Almighty. That's what God is saying. Friend, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today? If you died right now, are you sure heaven would be your home? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be set free from your sins? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? He did. The Bible tells us that. He died for you. But not only did He die, He arose from the dead. He died to pay your sin debt and my sin debt. Are you willing to repent?
Are you willing to turn away from the life that you're now living and turn to Jesus Christ and let Him give you a new life? Are you ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and follow Him? This invitation time is for you today. Not only just to come and be saved, but if God's speaking to your heart about anything and everything, that He wants you to come today, you feel free to come. But especially someone who is here and someone that the Lord is speaking to your heart, your heart has been pricked. God is tugging on your heart. Don't turn Him away. Let's stand and bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Father, take your message today, Lord, your word. Sink it deep into the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. Those that are in this building and those who are listening by other means. Father, I pray that your spirit will have free course in every life. And I pray that Jesus, you will be glorified and magnified through some soul being saved. Help them to realize, Lord, just to come to you and repent of their sins and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You do the work. We just do the believing. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.